The Bible says, be not deceived. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. All right, it's 4 p.m. on Wall Street. Do you know where your money is? Welcome to Financial Issues, where we align reality with truth. Conservative talk radio you can count on. Financial issues that you need to know. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. We will simply apply to government the common sense that we all use in our daily lives. Analyzing markets and financial news, this is Financial Issues Week in Review. Good morning. Welcome to Financial Issues. I'm your host, Shanna Burt. We're here live today. If you're listening at 8 a.m. Central Time, 9 o'clock Eastern Time during the week, if you're catching us on a Saturday on an AFR station, just know that you can get this program live every day, maybe not on an AFR station, but by going to our phone app, you can download that right to your phone. You can watch or listen live or go back and listen later. Um, you can also watch live on Facebook, YouTube, and Rumble. So those are other outlets that you can still catch us on. Well, I've got to talk fast. We've got a lot of economic news to cover. The biggest news this week, of course, has been the Fed's uh, meeting and their increase of the Fed funds rate by another 25 basis points yesterday, just as expected. If you are a partner of this ministry, which you can find out more information about becoming a partner if you're not one at financialissues.org, you can go, you can log into the partner site, go to the commentary section, and you can see a little bit more in depth um, explanation of what I thought about what Powell said yesterday. But he finally did acknowledge that the disinflation process has started, but it's in the really early stages. He also said that the full effects of tightening that they have done last year has yet to be felt, but that the, that the pace is slowing, of, of inflation is slowing, so that they can, I'm sorry, the pace of their rate increases has slowed so that they can assess the progress already made. I was glad to hear him say that. And he stuck to the script that ongoing increases in the Fed funds rate are anticipated, just like he stuck to the inflation is transitory line for far too long prior to the really um, high rate of inflation that we saw last year. He said things like we need to to see substantially more evidence to be confident that inflation is on a downward path and that he is strongly committed or the the committee is strongly committed to returning inflation to the 2% target over time. We will stay the course, he said, until the job is done. But he shied away from giving a definitive answer on the terminal rate, saying that those estimates would be updated in March. Watch this clip of a little summary of some of the things that he said and why he thinks we could still expect a soft landing for the economy. My own view would be that you're not going to have a, you know, a sustainable return to 2% inflation in that sector without a better balance in the labor market. And um, I don't know what that will require in terms of, of increased unemployment, your question. Um, I do think uh, there are a number of dimensions through which the labor market can soften. And uh, so far, we've, we've, we've got, as I mentioned, in goods, we have inflation moving down without the softening in the labor market. I think most forecasters would say that 
that unemployment will probably rise a bit from here, but I still think, I continue to think, that there's a path to getting inflation back down to 2% without a really significant economic decline or a significant increase in unemployment. And that's, that's because this, the, you know, the, the setting we're in is quite different. The, the, the inflation that we originally got was very much a collision between very strong demand and hard supply constraints, not something that you really have seen in, in, prior, uh, you know, in prior business cycles. And so now we see goods inflation coming down for the reasons we thought, and um, we, we understand why housing inflation will come down. And I think we'll, a story will emerge on, on the uh, non-housing services sector soon enough. But I think there is, there's ongoing disinflation, and we don't, yet see, uh, you don't, we don't yet see weakening in the labor market. So we'll have to see. We'll have to see. He also said that Fed policy would remain sufficiently restrictive. He said that many times. <laughs> but with no desire to over-tighten, which is what the market really fears, that they're going to go too far. And he said that we have tools to use if we do over-tighten. These tools that he's talking about are quantitative tightening, significantly reducing their balance sheet, which they have been doing. Uh, the focus has been more on the raising of the rates rather than the uh, rolling off of debt from their balance sheet. But the Fed has been reducing their holdings in their bond portfolio. They've reduced their holdings by $445 billion since June by allowing these bonds just to roll off to come due and not reinvesting or not writing more debt for the government. The balance sheet reduction pulls money out of circulation, and the the Fed uh, Bank of San Francisco said that this quantitative tightening has had an impact on the money supply of about a two percentage point rate hike, additional rate hike. So the balance sheet, though, is still more than 84 trillion dollars. Powell also said, or he continued to claim, that the labor market is extremely tight, a claim which the evidence I'm seeing disputes a little bit. I think we've seen more softening in the labor markets than Powell sees or at least acknowledges that he sees, but at least his vice chair, Brainerd, sees some things that he doesn't, or sees some things a little bit differently that he does. And uh, to my relief, he said that he agrees that there is no wage price spiral uh, that is pushing inflation higher. So that was a fear for a little while that we would just um, see wages continue to go up and that would just push inflation up and it gets into a spiral and a really bad situation. He did acknowledge that housing services are expected to rise until newer leases work their way through the data. So uh, was glad to hear him say that. And he sees little to no disinflation in core services, ex-housing, because he did acknowledge that it's going to take a little bit longer for us to actually see the data come down in, uh, in rental cost. But that's just because of a lag in the report. So uh, we will continue raising rates, he said, until we do. So I think he's missing a little something there that, uh, you know, I've seen the, a, a trend in core services starting to come down. And he has too, but he 
pulled out that old transitory word again, which scares me a little bit. And he said that the uh, decrease, the the decrease in goods inflation could be just transitory and we could see them move back up soon. He said that they have raised a total of four and a half percentage points um, and still need a couple more. He stuck to that narrative. Um, But he did mention that they used to think that a fast pace of raising rates was to raise by 25 basis points every other meeting. So I don't know if that could be signaling that he maybe intends to shift, maybe do a little pause and then shift after that. So um, got more to say about that, but I'm running out of time. So there's little to nothing that the Fed can do about some of the inflation that is being experienced. And maybe I'll talk more about that in the next segment. Uh, Bottom line, though, is the markets aren't picking up what the Fed is putting down. So they see the, the increase of 25 basis points as dovish in spite of all of the hawkish talk that the Fed is still trying to put out. The stock market rallied, um, seeing uh, that there may be more of a pause coming, and the yield curve is starting to steepen, which is a good thing. That indicates that you know inflation is, they believe that inflation is definitely on the mend. So the 10-year Treasury now sits at 3.34%. It's come down a little bit. If you want to get a really great rate in fixed income, I encourage you to check out the AFA uh, Charitable Gift Annuity. Their rates are better than the 10-year Treasury, and you can even store up heavenly treasure as you fund the master's work. You can find more information about that on our website, financialissues.org. Well, don't go anywhere. We're going to be right back with more financial issues. Did you know that an average 1.2 million babies are aborted each year? Listen, we have an opportunity at Financial Issues to change that, and we're doing it. Tens of thousands of lives have been saved because of Financial Issues listeners just like you. For $140, you could save the lives of five babies. All $140 goes to the Pregnancy Center to sponsor ultrasounds. 80% of the time, these ultrasounds will change the mind of a young lady that is considering abortion to choose life. Would you join us in the fight against the atrocity of abortion? I hope that you'll go to preborn.org or call pound 250 the keyword is baby when you're asked. Preborn.org. That's preborn.org. All throughout the red light district in India, women are trapped in a cycle of survival through prostitution. But they're not alone. Their children are there, hiding in back alleys, under a bed, or asleep in a room not far from the drugs and brothels outside. Five million of these children are trapped in the red light districts of India at a high risk of being abused or used in the trade themselves. But India Partners has made a way for you to rescue these children and relocate them to a safe, clean home in a safe neighborhood where not only their physical needs will be provided for, but they'll be introduced to the love of Jesus. And hopefully, with these resources, both the child and their mother can escape the sex trade and start a new life outside the red light district. Just $62 will provide a week of safety for one of these children, and $275 will provide for a whole month. Visit IndiaPartners.org to see how your gift can reach into the red light district and provide days of safety for one of these five million children.
FISM News is a conservative news source with a biblical worldview. With us, you get just the news grounded in truth. And now, with the new FISM TV app, it's even easier to take FISM News with you wherever you go, so you're never behind on what's happening. Not only are FISM News articles updated regularly throughout the day, but you can now easily access and read them right from your smartphone. And with just a few taps, you can share stories with friends through messages, email, or social media. Also, you can conveniently watch or listen to The Daily Show on demand and even go back to see recent broadcasts. Coming soon, you'll be able to download the podcast version of the news for offline use. So go ahead and visit your app store, download the new FISM TV app, and start exploring this engaging, educational, Christ-centered content today. The opinions and recommendations expressed on this program do not necessarily represent the opinions of the station or any of the program sponsors. Additionally, all products or services offered by the program sponsors may not be known by the program. Welcome back to Financial Issues. And, you know, we are a ministry. You'll hear us talk a lot about financial issues, but... Our main goal is to expose Jesus for all he is, all he means, and all he can do. So one of the ways that you can participate with us here at the ministry is to join our Bible study. It happens every Friday morning, and it is just an awesome way to be to hear some solid teaching on the scriptures from the comfort of your own home, you just dial in and you just get to listen. You don't even have to, you don't participate. We hope that you'll take notes and that you'll uh, pray and meditate on what you hear, but you don't have to do anything. You just get to sit back and sip on your coffee and listen, but it is early. So you have to get up. You have to um, offer to the Lord a sacrifice of sleep. <laughs> How about that? So you can join us. Uh, it's every Friday morning at 5.30 a.m. Central Time, 6.30 Eastern Time. So I hope that you all will join us. Let's get to some calls. We have Helen calling from Texas. Hi, Helen. Hi, Shanna. Um, God bless you. I have a quick question. I'm tracking with you on the Timothy model, 45 to 55, and I'm overweighted in other right now after the allocations. Um, and so my question is, when I, I have A shares and C shares, should I start with the C shares to exchange them and get those to where I need them to be? Or what do you recommend? Well, um, there's uh, some good videos on the website, and there's some verbiage, too. So if you're doing mutual funds on your own, I really recommend the A shares. Um, you really shouldn't mix A and C shares. You should stick to one share class because the A shares have a lower cost long term. There is a little bit of an upfront cost to buy some of those. But if you buy them and hold them as intended, that cost is really minimal over the long range. So if you're needing to get rid of some, if you're needing to get rid of some of those mutual fund holdings at all, I would start with the C shares um, and only do the A shares going forward because you get even with the C shares, you get to group everything together towards discounts on those uh, on those purchases that sales charge up front. Um, and then anything else, because they won't really let you exchange from a C share to an A share. So let's say that you've got um, two different holdings and you need to 
get rid of some of the things that's in the C share and go to the one that's in the A share, well, you can't make an exchange of that. You can only make an exchange within the same share class. So work towards getting all of those um, share classes as A shares. Now, what you don't want to do is if you've owned the C share for less than one year, don't sell that and buy an A share because you're going to you're gonna have a, a deferred sales charge to get out of it if, if you've held it less than 13 months, and then you're going to pay another sales charge to get into an A share. So um, I would say just work toward your allocation with that in mind. Okay, super. Thank you so much. Great. Thanks for calling, and thanks for your partnership. All right, let's hear from Chris calling from Texas. Hi, Chris. Hey, um, so I have a SEP, and uh, should I be aggressive in my SEP, or should I be non-aggressive in my SEP? Well, it, it just depends. How many more years are you going to work? Until uh, I'm 70. I'm 59. You're, okay, so 10 more years. And what is your risk tolerance like? What is your experience? Have you been invested and and seen your investments drop? And what was your reaction? Actually, I've done. I've been with financial issues for a few years, so I've done very well. Um, my oil stocks. You have a refinery down where you live. Uh, I don't know the call symbol, but I'll tell you that away. I'm, I'm up three hundred percent. So should I take profits on that and? and invested into um, um, one of the other stocks that you've got on your, your buy list? Yeah. You know, energy was the sector that did the very best last year, being up over 60%. And I think we've got almost all of the refineries down here in my area, but I think I know which one that you're talking about. Um, so if you're up 300% there, I mean, there's a good possibility or probability that the energy stocks will continue to do well this year. But if you're way over in that sector, you just never know when we could have a black swan event or something that happens that makes things reverse. So although we don't have a regular profit-taking, please hear me when I say this, we don't have a regular profit-taking kind of strategy, but I'm saying that, that, yes, that might be a good idea because I suspect that you're pretty well, overweighted in energy now and probably in some of those individual positions. Yes. So back to the original question on the step, do I, I, should I be more aggressive, my aggressive accounts in the step or my non-aggressive accounts in the step? So when, when you're doing a tax-located asset strategy, the Roth IRA, if you have a Roth at all, that has the best tax treatment because all of your growth is going to come out tax-free as long as you meet those qualifying events. So the Roth is where you should hold the most aggressive pieces of your portfolio. Remember, in the SEP, you're getting the benefit of not having to pay taxes on that money today or until you take the money out. So if you believe that you're in a higher tax bracket right now than what you'll be in in 10 years when you retire, um, I would say it would have to be because you're making a whole lot more income right now than what you maybe would be bringing in during retirement. Um, you know, that would be one reason to be aggressive in putting in more money to your SEP account. But I'm in the camp that taxes are going to be higher in the future than what they are today. So if, you're, if your spend budget is not much different than what it is today, you're probably not going to be in a lower tax bracket. So your 
slower growing investments should be in your SEP because it has the same treatment as a traditional IRA. Okay, that's what I needed to know. Thank you so much for your patience. All right, perfect. Talk to you all later. Bye. (laughs) Bye Bye-bye. Thanks. Well, let's get to Anita. Anita is calling us from Montana. Hi, Anita. Are you with us? Oh, hello. Yes. Yes, good morning, Shanna. So I had a question. My sister um, thinks I should uh, keep, I got some new money from uh, my my brother who passed away, and it's in a different account, and she suggests I keep it in a separate account and not because, uh, put it all where I have my main individual account, because of the FDIC, um, that it only covers up to 100000 Mm-hmm. Do you recommend keeping them in different brokerages, or I thought Dan always recommended we keep everything together so we don't get spread out? Yeah, so there's two issues there. You know, FDIC insurance, I mean, I like to use institutions, and unless you're using a, a credit union because they have a little bit of a different insurance coverage, but banks... You should always look for one that has FDIC coverage, not because it's going to be a great benefit if we have this big financial catastrophe because there's just not enough money to back all of the deposits that are there, but because those institutions have to follow certain guidelines and they have to adhere to certain standards in order to have the FDIC coverage. And it it really reduces the risk of your particular um, institution going out of business. So there's, it happens all the time. Uh, banks at a very small percentage rate go out of business. And what happens, the FDIC comes in and they just open under a different name, uh, usually over the weekend. So it helps with that. Um, what is a, What makes that difficult is when you start having money in a lot of different financial institutions, it makes it more cumbersome for your heirs to be able to collect all of those assets when something happens to you. There's a possibility that they might know might not know that you have um, assets at these different locations unless you keep really good records for them, which is a good idea. Um, but you can do your CDs in a brokerage account. So even if you're not wanting to get into stocks or mutual funds or ETFs, you can open a brokerage account at a discount brokerage firm and deposit all of your CD money there. And then you just want to make sure that you have the ability to shop from CDs all across the the country. It's called brokered CDs. And so you can, within that one account, hold CDs from banks all across the country and not even have to worry about exceeding that um, FDIC limit. Okay, so FDIC. DIC doesn't even matter for an individual brokerage account if you know if you have a cash position. Is that what I'm understanding? Well, your cash position in your brokerage account is not going to be FDIC insured. That's going to be um, covered under the SIPC insurance, which doesn't necessarily back the the holding, but just you know uh, from from fraud or from you know, anything nefarious happening with the institution that you're holding it with. But you can have FDIC-insured CDs. You could have 100 FDIC-insured CDs in one brokerage account. And because they're all issued by different banks or different financial institutions, they can they can all be, you don't have to worry about exceeding that limit. 
Okay. I think that answers my question. Yeah. Thank you so very for, much. For example, I mean, you might have in your brokerage account, you might have a CD that's issued by Bank of America. You might have another one that's issued by um, Goldman Sachs. And so there's all of these different banks all over the country that will post their offerings in that brokered uh, CD platform. Okay, so it doesn't matter anything about whatever you have in your brokerage account, if it's in stocks, none of that's covered if something was to fail anyway, right? (laughs) Yeah, stocks are are not covered. I mean, when you get into equities, you are um, assuming market risk. So whatever happens with that company is what's going to happen. There's no FDIC, there's no insurance there. Okay. Yes. Well, thank you. All right. Great. Well, thanks for calling. All right. You too. All right, Seth, what do we have on social? I know there's... Yep, a couple things here, Shanna. Okay. <laughs> Tony is saying, uh, Shanna, after the 2020 election, Dan's investing tone felt kind of a hold, move more to cash and be ready to take a more severe position. But your tone seems to be more positive towards investing. Would you please comment? What do you think? After the 2020 election... Um, he came out with another set of recommendations, which was to move forward in redeploying that cash. So we had some really negative years in the market, a negative year in the market last year. We think valuations are pretty fairly um, valued right now, and it's a good time. You know, we, we updated the models in November of last year, indicating that we had an opinion that it was time to move in. So if you're following the model, just follow the strategy and you should be good to go. We're going to take a break and then we'll be back with more financial issues. I pray that in these trying times that I can lead him in a way that I know will leave a godly imprint on his heart forever. And to show her how to live a life that is pure. I want her to understand how precious life is and to to take care of his body. To eat right and exercise and understand that his body is a temple temple of of God. God. I pray that our family will love Jesus, read his word daily, and obey his teaching. The values that we share should guide us in the way that we invest. Make sure that you are investing in companies whose policies and practices align with pro-life, pro-family values. Visit thetimothyplan.com or call for more information. Advance the kingdom in the way that you invest. If you like what you're hearing right now, you're going to love going to the website FISM.TV. Keep listening to this show right here and right now, but later when you're done, go visit our website. It's FISM.TV to learn more about this show and plenty more. Securities offered through GA Repel and Company, a registered broker, dealer, and investment advisor, member FINRA and SIPC. Opinions expressed by Shanna are hers alone and are for informational purposes only, and do not necessarily represent those of GA Repel or the outlet on which you are listening. You should consider how the information applies to your situation prior to personally implementing it, and consult any financial professional you work with to make sure it's applicable to your financial plan. Welcome back to Financial Issues Stewardship Ministries. And, you know, stewardship 
encompasses so many different things. Most most of the time people think about their money, and that's what we talk a lot about here, helping you be a good steward with your finances and with your investments. But we also have stewardship over things like our bodies, which is the temple of the living God, if we are a we are believers, and the freedoms that we have about the choices that we get to make over our bodies. So a little bit of personal uh, economic news. A recent survey that was uh, conducted by AARP shows that of adults who are still working, more than half expect either to work into retirement or to never retire. So, <laughs> right, I know that's a, that's a little bit um, that's a little bit disappointing. You know, I came across another article um, not long ago that talked about a sur- another survey that was done where millionaires even now know that they don't have enough to retire. About thirty five percent of millionaires surveyed. Um, in this particular survey, said that it would take a miracle to achieve a secure retirement. You know, long time ago, that used to be the number. If you could, if you could save up to a million dollars, you could retire and feel confident about having enough money to make it through all of your retirement years and probably still have a good bit to pass along. So the U.S. is home to more to almost 25 million millionaires more than any other nation. 35% of them said that only a miracle would allow them to retire securely. More than half, 58%, have come to terms with the fact that they'll have to work longer and um, longer than, that, than they had planned. You know, the retirement age has really come down over the years as we've had a really prosperous um, stock market. We've... Um, most people you talk to just really scoff at the idea that retirement age is actually 65 in a time when um, life expectancies are getting longer and longer and longer. So if you retire at age 65, you probably have a good 20 to 30 year lifespan ahead of you. So you're going to be retired, you know, living off of what you were, what you accumulated in, you know, 20, 30 years of working for that same period of time. So it's a really monumental task to do that. And now, you know, we're seeing with inflation and negative stock market performance last year, you know, Fidelity reported that the average retirement plan was down 23% last year with the markets down between 19 and 33%, the bond market down 30%. That's taken a really big hit to American retirement plans. So Americans are looking at working longer and possibly needing to save more under those conditions. So we're here at Financial Issues to help you figure out how to do that and how to do that in a God-honoring way. So we hope that you'll go to our website, financialissues.org, and check out our strategy. Consider becoming a partner today. Let's get to some calls. Let's hear from Vicki. Vicki's calling from Virginia. Hi, Vicki. Hey, Shanna. Thank you for all you do. Sure. I am calling because I'm an income investor, and I was reading some notes that you had for us. Should I, as an income investor, be purchasing one-sixth at a time over six months my new investments? 
So if you have new money, that meaning if most of your portfolio is in cash, most or all, I would say, I would say if you have less than 20% invested, look at getting fully invested according to your target allocation within six months. If you have less than that, let's say that you're 50% invested, you could probably finish up over the next three months. Okay. And the other thing is you had said to take profits if they're over a certain amount and mine are well over that certain amount. And then you said to put it in fixed income. Is that liquid or, in other words, if I wanted to get to it easily, could I? Or how does that work as far as fixed income? Because I'm fortunate enough to have a, a charitable gift annuity, so I know that I have a certain amount of money coming in each year. Oh, that's great. Um, so we don't have profit-taking as part of our regular strategy. So if you heard me say that, it was because, you know, perhaps you're overweighted in a certain industry because the companies in that industry have performed so well. I talked about this a little bit in terms of energy. You know, the energy sector was up over 60% last year, and many of the positions that we have here are up, you know, similar to that or even up over 100%. So, Regular profit taking is not a strategy. I would I would encourage you to go to the website and kind of put that in the search box. There's a lot of videos, some of me, some of Dan, that will come up that talk about putting in bottoms and not doing profit taking was part of the strategy for a very short time, once or twice in the past. But you know, if you call just um, selling out part of a holding because it's now makes up. 8% of your overall portfolio, and it's up. If if that's what you're referring to as profit-taking, that's okay. But not, not to just sell positions because they're up. So the thing that drives your investment decisions is your asset allocation. So if you're a partner and you're using the portfolio tracker, you know exactly what I'm talking about. That tool makes it very, very easy for you to know where new money needs to go or if you're fully invested where you need to trim positions and add to others because once you get all your positions in and select which income, I mean, which asset allocation model that you're following, you're going to get a really nice bar chart output that says, here's where you're over, here's where you're under. It makes those decisions very, very easy. So if you're light in fixed income, then yes. But to answer the second part of that question, short-term money should never be considered part of your portfolio. So any emergency money that you have, any money that you know that you're likely to spend in the next, you know, two to three years, all of that should be kept outside your portfolio, shouldn't even show up on your portfolio tracker. Because even fixed income, as we saw last year, goes through cycles. The the bond market last year was down 30%. So if you were putting some of your short-term money there into, let's just say, the inflation protected or the Ginnie Mae, you learned a really hard lesson about, you know, if you needed it now and you see that it's down maybe 10, 15, 20%, you know, fixed income is not... A cash equivalent. Okay. Thank you for the clarification. Okay, great. Thanks for calling, Vicki. We appreciate your partnership. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Let's get to Bonnie. Bonnie's from Ohio. Hi, Bonnie. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Um, We have been, my husband and I are both in our 60s, and I know in probably three, four years, maybe um, my husband will retire. 
And my question was, after we've built our portfolio and if we need more money than our dividends in order to live on, how do we decide like what to sell and that kind of thing? And I didn't know if that's something we should plan like maybe a year in advance, like how much money we think we'll need for next year and try Mm -hmm. to get it out the year before kind of thing. Thank you. So that's a great question. Um, For most people, you know, if you're in that 65 plus, if you're following that strategy, the yield on your portfolio, I'm going to just suspect based on lots of experience that your dividend yield is somewhere between two and 3% right now. For most people, that doesn't necessarily cover what they need to supplement income. So Bonnie is right. You're going to have to take the money from somewhere else. So very purposefully, uh, especially in the 65 and the income portfolio, there is some allocation to cash. So the allocation to cash is twofold. One is to bring some stability into the portfolio because that portion of your portfolio um, won't really go up much, but it won't go down either. So any any money, any income that you need to take, now this is outside of emergency uh, money or short, short-term goals that you might have, but any income that you need to take from your portfolio, I think is a good idea to leave in cash. So you want to look at what you need to send out in the next 12 to 24 months. And if you just follow the asset allocation, that cash allocation will probably keep enough money in cash for you and your portfolio will continue to replenish that. So at some point, you're right, your your asset allocation is going to be out of whack. But if you're using that portfolio tracker, it's going to show you right there what you should be looking at. So let's say that you're two years down the road and you know, you've know you taken a lot of that cash out as income, as just part of the strategy of the portfolio, um, what you're, you know, you've saved all of this money to pay for your retirement years. So what's going to happen when you look at your tracker is you're going to be short in cash and you're going to be over somewhere else. So that's going to be the place that you take the, 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 the money from to put back into your cash. Okay. Wow. That makes perfect sense. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Bonnie. Thank you so much. I'm glad I could help you with that. You know, we appreciate your comments on social media and your interactions so much. We hope that you'll keep that up because that helps us get in front of more like-minded people. As we've struggled, you know, we're, we're no longer, we're only on the air on AFR on Saturdays now. So we're regrouping there and trying to redeploy our resources to get in front of more people. But that's one way that you can help us is to interact. Well, we're going to be back with more financial issues after this short break. Don't go anywhere. People are talking a lot about healthcare these days. There are so many changes, so many questions. As Christians, where can we turn for answers? At Samaritan Ministries, we believe the answer is in Jesus Christ, working in the lives of his people, demonstrating Christian community by sharing each other's medical needs, scripturally, faithfully. Here's just part of Brett's story in his own words. When I reflect on Samaritan Ministries, the biggest thing that stands out to me is that we, as a body of believers, are living out New Testament 
Abrahamic Christianity, this idea that Samaritan has adopted from the book of Acts should permeate all parts of our lives, not just health sharing. It it's a, has a profound impact on people like me and my wife. Brett is just one of more than 150,000 members who are sharing over $13 million in medical needs each month. If you'd like to experience what it's like to partner with other Christians for your health care needs and you'd like to see what other members are saying, visit MySamaritanStory.org. Have you ever thought about banking with a credit union instead of a traditional bank? Not really, but I think my parents have a credit union account. Do you know the difference between a bank and a credit union? No. Banks are owned by stockholders, so they do their best to make profits for them. But credit unions are owned by their members, and the members see their profits through lower rates and higher interest on savings accounts. And at Christian Community Credit Union, our mission is to help members and ministries become better stewards and achieve their financial goals. Our mobile and tablet apps provide easy, safe, and convenient banking. It's like banking at your fingertips 24-7. When you bank with us, you're banking with someone who shares your faith and values. To get started today, visit us online at myccu.com. Christian Community Credit Union. Your money, building God's kingdom. American Family Association President Tim Wildman. Why does AFA exist? Well, we're here to inform, equip, and activate individuals and families to transform the culture. We want to make an impact on our country for Christ. That's the reason my dad, Don Wildman, started this ministry 40-plus years ago. Dad was concerned about the direction America was headed, and he was determined to do something about it. Maybe that describes you today. If it does, I want to strongly encourage you to consider a charitable gift annuity to American Family Association Foundation. This will benefit you, and it will ensure that we stay in the fight for a long, long time to come. That's the AFA Foundation. Call the AFA Foundation at 800-326-4543, extension 345. That's 800-326-4543, extension 345. I would like to thank you very much for giving me the impetus to consolidate my portfolio into one advisor. At Financial Issues Stewardship Ministries, our goal is to help Christians make financial decisions that honor God. Everything fell into place. I felt so much peace and the consistent ethic. There is a certain contentment that everything will be fine. Go to financialissues.org and become a partner today. The opinions and recommendations expressed on this program do not necessarily represent the opinions of the station or any of the program sponsors. Additionally, all products or services offered by the program sponsors may not be known by the program. Thanks for sticking with us here at Financial Issues. Just wanted to remind you that, you know, this this program, Financial Issues, is our flagship program for FISM TV, but we do have other content. We hope that you'll get our phone app and go check that out or go to FISM.TV and see all of the original content. You know, so much happens in the world, and, and we only have a chance to get to a very small bit of it here on Financial Issues, but you can tune in every weekday night 
night at 6 o'clock Central Time, 7 o'clock Eastern Time, and watch FISM News, where all of the world headlines will be brought to you through a biblical worldview lens. Um, Also, um, this week, early this week, we... um, we honored the the last a year from the last show that Dan was with us, and just to remind you, there is still the documentary about his life. If you want to learn more about our founder and the amazing things that God did through his faithfulness and the gifts that he dedicated to the work of the Lord, you can go watch a documentary called "As a Son of Issachar," and that is still up there on the website. You can also join us to honor Dan's life at our Financial Issues Retreat that's coming up in April. There's information on the website about the retreat as well. There's still a little bit of room left. uh, So if you want to get your room reserved, you need to go and do that now because we are um, on the hook for all of the rooms that we've set aside at the Billy Graham uh, Training Center at the Cove in North Carolina. And so at some point, if you you all don't fill up the retreat, we will open it to the listeners of Washington Watch because Tony Perkins is going to be our keynote speaker. And I know that there's a lot of people that would like to come and and meet Tony and hear him speak as well. And I'm looking forward to meeting all of you who will join us at the Financial Issues Retreat. You can find more information, financialissues.org. Well, let's get to some calls. We thank you guys for hanging on. Let's get to John, who's calling from, is that Alabama? All right. Hi, John. Yes. My question is, how many ways can you receive a traditional inherited IRA? And I have a follow-up question to that. Well, that depends on who you're inheriting it from. If you're inheriting it from a spouse, then you have some options. You can open it as an inherited IRA with your spouse as the owner and you as the beneficiary, or you can roll that into your name. If it's from a non-spouse, it's the same. You can't roll it over into your own name. It has to be treated. It has to be uh, transferred into an inherited IRA, which then dictates the rules as to how you can take it out. It depends on when the person that you're inheriting it from died. If they died prior to January 1st of 2020, it's a different set of options. If they died after January 1st of 2020, it's uh, a different set of options. Most likely, uh, depending on the circumstances, whether or not they had already started taking their required minimum distributions or not, uh, that will impact how you have to liquidate that IRA. Okay. They passed away before 2020 and they were already receiving their RMDs. Okay. So you'll, you'll want to just, you know, double check the rules, but you should be able to um, continue to take those distributions based over your life expectancy. So you have a required minimum that you have to take out every year. And can more than one person be the beneficiary of that traditional inherited IRA? Absolutely. So you can okay. list as many beneficiaries as you want on your uh, on your IRA account, whether it's a regular IRA or an inherited IRA. Now, what you have to be keenly aware of as you're as you're deciding how to take the how and when to take these distributions out is that once you pass it on to the next person. 
pretty much all of their choices go away. So they're going to have to take a full distribution when you get to go home and be with the Lord. Okay. And how much time do we have to decide on what to do with this traditional inherited IRA? Um, Not very long. So, you know, the required minimum distribution, if they were already taken, it has to be taken for the year that they passed. And then when it's set up in your name, you're going to have those required minimum distributions every year. So if you're supposed to be taking a required minimum distribution and you don't do it, the IRS penalty on that is 50% of what you should have taken but didn't. Okay. Can I ask you another question on a, a trust? Sure. Okay, um, and this is about the same individual that just that passed away. Uh, can the trustee, can they, if it's a revocable trust or an irrevocable trust, can they change it after the person has passed away? If it is an irrevocable trust, they should not be able to. Um all of the provisions depend on the original trust document. So I'm not a lawyer. I can't give legal advice. You know, haven't even seen the document. But the best thing to do is to consult um, a legal professional as to what the provisions of the trust say they can and can't do. Okay. So if my name is on the trust, am I allowed to see the copy of a, the trust? If you're the beneficiary or the trustee? Yes. The beneficiary. I'm not really sure about that. You, that's really a legal question that you would okay. need to, yeah, need to consult the attorney about. And if you mm-hmm. don't trust the attorney that is handling the trust, then you may consider, um, you know, consulting your own attorney. All right. Thank you very much, Shannon. I am a member and a warrior on this, and I appreciate you guys for what you do. Thank you very much. Have a blessed day. Thank you, John. God bless Thanks, you too. John. We appreciate your loyalty and your support as well. All right, let's get to Joe. Joe's calling from Kansas. Good morning. Good morning. Hi, Shanna. Hey, also, I want to ditto what uh, John just said, that very thankful for all you do, and you're very, very much appreciated in the entire team. So thank you. God bless you. And hey, Christ is coming back. Amen. We appreciate you, too. Thank you, Joe. Joe. All right. So, anyways, I'm 71. My wife is 69. All this background stuff. Um, We're retiring in the next one to two years. We're in the 65 to retirement allocation. So, I have had many positions, too too many positions. And so, I have uh, recently been consistently and slowly whittling them down. And so here's finally my question. (laughs) So with my ETF, my mutual funds, my fixed incomes, then, and I'm sorry if this sounds so, so um, ridiculous, but after all those, then should I have 50 stocks or should it all inclusive? Um, You know, I don't like to give a real hard number, but when you're looking at the the number of positions, the best way to do that is to remember kind of the rule of thumb. You want to have no less than 1% um, in an individual stock. Now, that's not 
the mutual funds, not the ETFs, because or the fixed income or the cash because those have different percentages. But the individual companies, um, you want to have at least a minimum of 1% in that company and uh, on the higher end up to 3%. Now, you know, once you get over 5% in a particular holding, that's when you want to consider maybe pairing it back. But that's really going to drive the number of companies in the portfolio. So for example, let's say that you have a sector that has a 3% allocation. You should probably have three companies there with 1% each. Um, you could have two, but you know, three is, is kind of on the low end. Um, on the flip side of that, in one of the heaviest weighted sectors, maybe you've got a 15% allocation, let's just say. I think you should have a minimum of five stocks there. So um, that's really going to drive the total number. And if you kind of stick to that, you won't get uh, bogged down by having a a hard, you know, um, just one specific number for the overall portfolio. But my my, um, suspicion is that you're going to end up with between, let's just say, 35 and 45 individual stock positions. Okay, great. I have a follow-up question then. Okay, if it's real quick, we can get to it, but we're right at the end of the show. Okay, um, my lowest. Well, no, I'll just I'll just um, text one in or email one in. Thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> we appreciate um, your partnership and your loyalty. Okay, God bless you. Love you guys. All right. I don't know. Do we have anything that we can get to real quick? You know, Shannon, Maybe might, just some good mornings. Might just be able to get to some good mornings. We got Eddie from Tennessee saying, good morning, everyone. Looking out my window at all the ice on the ground and trees. Eddie, we oh, had the yeah. same thing up here in Philly, man. A little bit of snow. It was nice. A little chilly here, but no ice. Yeah. Shannon, when was the last time you guys had snow or ice? Um, 21. Wow. So. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. A couple other people saying hello. Gene is saying hello and Gary and... Uh, Dan's little brother, Uncle John, and all the usual (laughs) saying hello on the website. Good to see you all. Good stuff. Well, folks, we have to remember time's getting short. The master's coming back. There is going to be a test, and we want to be found good and faithful stewards. And we thank you so much for following along with us here at Financial Issues. Come back next week, same time, same place. If we ever forget that we're one nation under God, then we will be a nation gone under. Thank you for joining us. This has been an FISM production.